chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4. All right, well, I hope you had a good Christmas day. I actually got a chance to spend time with my mother, she might be watching right now, and my brother Sean. I told Sean a half hour ago, hey, if you're not doing anything, we're hanging out at the church at 7 o'clock. Keep pushing. You see him, just keep inviting him. He'll pop in now and then. Uh, Galatians chapter 4. If you're able to stand, I want to go ahead and read more verses than what I will preach on, but we are going through the book of Galatians. So I'll, we're going to read verse 8 all the way to verse 18. And even if we don't touch on every verse, it'll do us some good to read it. Verse 8. How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? So basically, the Galatians, who had gotten saved and were taught salvation by grace through faith, are now putting their dependence in their own fleshly behavior, their own good works, which is the weak and beggarly element. Compared to Jesus, it is very, very weak. Uh, Verse 10, ye observe days and months and times and years. They're following the Jewish customs. Verse 11, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain, says the Apostle Paul. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised, or ye despised not. (laughs) reads better, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. So they were very privy to the fact that he had some physical handicaps and hiccups. And it's very possible he was not, in the physical sense, not easy to be around. I don't know if there was a deformity in his eyes or face or what was going on, but... uh, when we get to the end of, Galatians, end of Galatians, we discover he had some serious issues with his eyes. And even in this passage, he makes an emphasis here. Verse 14, um, And my temptation which was in my flesh, he despised not. I already read that. Uh, verse 15, Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, this was their attitude before they were indoctrinated by the Jews who came from Jerusalem. This was their attitude toward Paul before those Jews came and fed them some poison. He says, I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Now, there's no doubt that's a little hyperbole there, but nevertheless, he's reminding them of their generosity and their kindness to him. Maybe it's not, but nevertheless, he is reminding them, you had this extremely uh, 
self-sacrificing attitude toward me when I was with you. Verse 16, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Uh, I think a lot of folks who stand up for Christ in this culture today can relate to that passage right there. You can relate to that passage. If, you, if you're living as the kind of Christian God wants you to be, eventually you're going to cross the road where somebody that you knew real well, they don't just disagree. They get hateful. Verse 17, speaking of those Jews who had come in and influenced them, he said, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. He's talking about they're just using you, and once they get what they want out of you, they're going to ignore you because you're Gentiles. Uh, let's see, where did I leave off? Verse 18. That's the verse. That's where we're landing. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. And not only when I am present with you. The title is this, it is good to be zealously affected. And of course, the idea there is out of verse 18, in a good thing, in a good thing. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, may the Holy Ghost help me to speak, help us to hear, help us to learn. May you have your way in our hearts as we study this topic tonight. Uh, Lord, I understand the context and I tried to explain that as we went through it. But there's a topic here that we need to hear from, and I, I need to hear from it. And it helps us evaluate our own heart. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd bless and guide and direct. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So he is now trying to uh, get them to take that zeal that they have for the heresy that they've swallowed and refocus back, refocus it back on the truth. Uh, there he's, he's spent four chapters thus far giving clarity the gospel, to the gospel of grace, and he will continue to do so in chapter 5 and chapter 6 giving more emphasis and teaching on the gospel of grace. They at one time loved Paul so much that it sounds like they would have laid down their lives for him. Paul is absent, and when the shepherd is absent, the wolves come in. Paul is absent, and the heretics come in. And they come in in sheep's clothing. And they begin to propagate this Jewish doctrine. Remember, they did not have the New Testament like you and I have. And so, the emphasis was on the Old Testament Scriptures. That's where they learned of Christ. And, and so, these Jews, this is their book. They held some clout. And all they had to do was say, yeah, we believe in Jesus. Just not the way you do. Hey, is there a crowd like that today? 
I mean, I can talk to Mormons and they'll tell me they believe in Jesus. I can talk to Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll tell me they believe in Jesus. I can talk to Catholics and they'll tell me they believe in Jesus, but they believe in something else too, don't they? And so this is very, very important for you and I to understand uh, that just because somebody says, I believe in Jesus, does not mean, it does not mean that they're doctrinally correct on the rest of the area, of the rest of the scriptures, the rest of Christianity. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us they're to prove themselves, and we're to prove them through the teaching of the scriptures. But Paul makes emphasis of this uh, subject called zeal, zeal. Now, though it may not appear to be a doctrinal issue, I believe it is in a sense. It is a doctrinal issue may not be a doctrinal issue in the sense that it would send you to heaven or hell. It doesn't, won't determine that factor, but it is very revealing. It's very revealing, kind of like, kind of like a, a house that is heated by wood. You can walk in there and tell if the fire is going or not. You can you can walk in there and say, oh, this is toasty. I'm going to take my jacket off. Well, they got a fire burning in that place. It's a blazing. And maybe you could walk in another day and say, ooh, give me another blanket or something. You got this fireplace, but there's barely a, barely a spark. What is zeal? So let's look at this. Let's answer some of these obvious questions, okay? Let's look at this thoroughly as much as I can in the time we have. What is zeal? It is passion. Zeal is a burning interest. Uh, Daniel Webster said it is excitement of mind. I like this. Zeal is desire on fire. Most anyone who is successful in any field, any field... Secular or sacred, business or athletic or entertainment, most, most anyone that is successful, they did not obtain that success without zeal. I watched a documentary the other day, and I hadn't, I've kind of been out of the major league thing for a while here, but it interested me. I've been getting these little pop-ups on my phone, Shohai Otani. Does that name ring a bell to anybody? I've got three people here, okay, so everybody's out of the major league loop. I've never even been to a major league game. I do want to attend one one time before I kick the bucket. So, um, I noticed on our one of our uh, channels there that there was a documentary on Shohai Otani. And I'd been getting these news feeds, so I'm going to check this out. Well, the guy's only like 28 years old. Not not may not be that, 27 years old. He come from Japan. He's the only guy since Babe Ruth that pitched and won 10 games as a pitcher and hit over 40 home runs. Now, that's kind of astonishing. I mean, if you don't know anything about major leagues, and that doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but I thought that was kind of astonishing. Wow. And so the whole documentary is about his life and his passion. 
From the time this boy was eight years old, baseball is his, I hate to say it, it's his God. It's his passion. He wrote goals when he was a little boy about playing in the major leagues. And when he lived in Japan. And he got up in the morning to prepare to be one of the greatest hitters and one of the greatest pitchers. I mean, every morning. He still does. What is that? That's zeal. He played with another fellow in Japan, another Japanese guy that, uh, Darvish or something like that, that uh, had come over before he did. And the Dar- the, his, his teammate who had come to the major leagues before he did, as a pitcher, said after a while, he said it becomes a business playing in the major leagues. It's just like work. It's all these games. But not for this Shohai Otani. He loves to play. I mean, he's been playing in the major leagues three three or four years, and he's won the MVP two years in a row. Unanimously this past year. It's incredible. I just find that, I think it's awesome, the zeal, that aspect of it that says something. I was listening to a book. I had to mute it, so I'm going to say that, about Elon Musk. How many of you heard of him? I guess if you're the richest man in the world, you're going to get your name out there. He owns uh, X. It's not Twitter anymore. The portion that I listen to, he's a man of absolute zeal. Absolute zeal. He likes to fix things. He likes to make things go. He likes to innovate. He likes to look at the impossible to make it. I I was quite fascinated. I read a book about Tom Brady. Oh, don't stone me. He played at Michigan. (laughs) I heard that. Uh, Anyways, I found it to be a fascinating book. It was actually about the Patriots. And when I read, listen, I, I'll be honest, and I'm not trying to safeguard myself, but when the Colts played the Patriots, I wanted the Colts to win every single time. I did. So, Levi didn't. You can stone him after church, but I did. And I'm a Peyton Manning fan. I like Peyton Manning. I think that they had a character team. Those guys were good character guys. I felt like Tony Dungy uh, is a character man. So I, I still hold them in high respect. And I really didn't think a whole lot about the Patriots or Brady. I, I didn't. As far as I thought, well, they're a great team, but my respect level was not like it was for the Colts. Anyways, I read this book. And it's amazing when you learn about somebody's life and you learn details about his life that's right out there, right out there for anybody to check and see if he's lying. My respect level went like from here to Tom Brady. Wow. He gave up lots of money to get other players to play on his team. Lots of money. Not only that, his diet and his routine, his exercise, there's nobody in the NFL that compares to this. It's just, 
That's insane. I couldn't, I couldn't eat uh, kale ice cream. I mean, he's almost a vegetarian. How do you do that? But he, want, he, he had felt like it's going to lengthen my career. Well, he played until he's 45, so I, I reckon what he did worked. What I'm saying about these guys, just, just to name a handful, uh, I, I got a story about Bobby Unser in there. Bobby Unser, he, and I won't quote it right because I couldn't find the exact quote, but I remember it from years ago. He said, I loved racing so bad you could have poured gasoline on me and I'd still go out there and jump in that car and ride, drive. And I'm just thinking, people in the world succeed because of zeal, passion, uh, 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 anxiousness of mind, a great interest, desire on fire. Now, listen, uh, can we have zeal in the wrong areas? Well, absolutely. But zeal is like fire. It can be good and useful, or it can cause great damage. Where there is when there is zeal in the heart, when there is zeal in your heart, I'm here to tell you, it is all controlling. It will be the thing that's on, whatever you're zealous for, it will be the thing that is on your mind at that moment. It doesn't matter what somebody's talking to you about. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. If you are zealous toward a particular thing at, at, at a particular time, all the circumstance around you takes second place to what it, you are zealous about. That's zeal. Well, we need to talk about godly zeal. Because it's, it's good to be zealously affected, always in a good thing. And there is such a thing as godly zeal. Godly zeal is when we have this passion to please God that exceeds all else. I mean, if, if zeal is what the definition claims it to be, and it's mentioned in the Scriptures, it is certainly godly zeal is that passion for God. Now, we all may have a degree of love for God, but you can only say you have a zeal for God when it becomes all-consuming. To live in such a way as to be always looking for the smile of God. I don't know if you... I know we got a diverse crowd in the room. Some of your kids are adults, and now some of you, many of you got grandkids. Got a few of you here with some young kids. I always think it's the coolest thing when you're around these little kids... And they're maybe in a, in a play or they're in some sports. And what do they do if they know mom or dad is in the stands? They're always looking to see if you're watching. You see me? You see me? You see me? I really believe the child of God that is zealous for God is like that throughout the day. You see me? You see me? The motive of godly zeal is love for God and love for people. Therefore, those with godly zeal can be, often be more patient with others 
And yet they can often push others to seek God and serve Him even when they don't want to be pushed. Hello? That's why when you were first saved and you went home to tell family and friends about it, you weren't real worried initially about their response. You just knew how good it was. But for some, the rejection quenched your spirit. It uh, threw water on the zeal. Um, <clears throat> zealous, godly, people with godly zeal may err in their approach and methods, but not in their motives. I've been around people, and I know I've probably been, I'm sure I've been the same way. That's, I, I'm, I know I have. I'm looking back. But I've been around people, I'm like, man, you're a little over the top, aren't you? And it wasn't really. They just on fire for God. I didn't say that to them. I, I, but it's like, wow, you're going to run people off. They couldn't help it. <laughs> They wanted to preach. They wanted to share the scriptures. They wanted to witness. Old brother Paul Peruki going out to lunch with him one time. I'm like, you're a maniac. Let me go through this here. Those with godly zeal may be misunderstood, but it doesn't make them wrong. It doesn't make their zeal wrong either. Those with godly zeal will strive to improve themselves in the will of God. They love the things God loves and hate the things God hates. In Numbers 25, verses 11 through 13, God testifies on Phineas' behalf. In the context, the story goes like this. Israel is in the wilderness marching. The Midianites, after the uh, <clears throat> Balaam had uh, given some false or some uh, deceitful information to the Moabites and all of them how to uh, uh, sneak into the Israelite camp, the Midianites went out and met the Israelites so as to appear to fellowship with them, and the next thing you know, this, these parties are breaking out, and there's immorality going on, and I mean, the judgment of God is coming down, and the Bible tells us that uh, Phineas does something pretty radical. I mean, there's a, uh, there's a Midianite princess. She's having sex with a an Israelite in a tent, and this Phineas goes over there and takes a spear and puts it right through both of them. That's radical. But it stopped the judgment of God. I wouldn't even mention that if it wasn't in the Bible, but that's in the Bible. It stopped the judgment of God. And for all those who thought, wow, he's a nut, God said, I like his zeal. I like his zeal. Now, listen, we're in New Testament. We don't handle things that way. Hello? 
We need to understand that. We don't handle things that way. But nevertheless, the idea of the zeal is apparent, and God was paying attention. In Psalms 119, 139, David says, My zeal hath consumed me because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. The Apostle Paul would testify of a man by the name of Epaphras and his love for the Colossian church. He would tell the Colossians, he hath a great zeal for you. That zeal was for them to know Christ. And if you think zeal is out of character with Christianity, the one and only Savior and example of all of us is known as a zealous man on this earth. Who was it that walked into the temple on two different occasions and cleaned house? It wasn't because he was having a bad day. It was because he was zealous for his father's house. And we've got numerous scriptures regarding the Lord Jesus and his zeal. I love the one in Isaiah 59, 17. It says he was clad with zeal. That means he wore it like a cloak. It was clothing on him. He was so filled with zeal. When you get around passionate people, when you get around zealous people, no matter what it is, no matter what, it, what their interest is, if they're zealous about it, I'm here to tell you, friend, you're going to know about it fairly quick. Whether it's something, something in the secular or whether it's something in the spiritual, you're going to know about it because it stirs their heart. And my challenge, my challenge to you and my challenge to me as I study this is, do I have and do you have godly zeal? Godly zeal. That's what God's looking for. Our need for godly zeal. We have a need for it. God is looking for people who are zealous toward him. Hey, take your Bibles, turn to Titus chapter 2 real quick. We don't have king's kids, so we can stay all night. Titus chapter 2. And if you don't know where it's at, it's 3 Timothy. Titus 2. Titus 2, verse 14. Titus 2, verse 14. Matter of fact, let me begin at verse 11. Let me begin at verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to a few. Just curious what Bible you're reading. All men teaching us that we can do whatever we want. What's your Bible say? Uh, now we're learning what grace really is. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And watch this. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. What's the next word? Zealous of good works. God is concerned about your zeal, ladies and gentlemen. If you call yourself a Christian, he's concerned about your zeal. He wants to know if the fire is burning. He wants to know if the passion is hot. He wants to know if somebody touched you, they'd say, Jesus is in there. He wants to know that the world around you can feel it, can see it, can smell it, can hear it. 
Because when you're in a house that's burning, you can usually tell. So, our need, it is expected of believers. It is contagious among those who already have a flicker of zeal. It is said of John the Baptist in John chapter 5, verse 35, he was a burning and shining light, and you did rejoice in that light for a season. Those who are zealous for God understand they're nothing but a candle, but they want to burn for God. They understand the reality that eternity's coming and this body is just a, a, a wax candle that's going to melt down and one day, is it really going to be, sir, it, will it really serve its purpose or did it burn for something else? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 2, Paul would tell, uh, uh, talk about the Corinthians, he would say, your zeal hath provoked many. He'd brag on them. I preached a message when we went through that, and I titled it, Has Your Zeal Provoked Any? Any Christian that has ever had an impact for Christ was zealous, bottom line. Now, I realized they didn't have to get loud. They could be zealous. It's said of Jonathan Edwards, he actually spoke almost in a monotone voice, but you can't tell me you're not on fire for God if you're willing to go without food four days at a time and spend days and nights in the Word of God to prepare for a sermon, to reach people with the gospel. You can't tell me there's not a flame that burns that says, I want God more than I want food. Hello? It takes zeal for that. You see, zeal is not always noted for its volume, but it is always noted for its passion. But I would say this, and I would recommend it. That's one reason why it's all right, and you ought to say amen when you hear something from the Word of God that agrees with you. I read one quote, I heard a quote earlier today, you know, in regards to the church. The church, more often than not, needs a spur, not a bridle. Giddy up! Giddy up! Rarely, if ever, has the Lord said, you better, whoa, boy, whoa. Oh, no, no. Charge hell, because the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Charge hell with the gospel gun and reach people for Christ while you can. That's zeal. And it'd it'd do us well. To say amen when it's agreeable. To say glory when it's agreeable. And to learn how to say that. Not be ashamed of speaking up. You're at a ball. Let me just say this. Since we're on it. For some of you here. Some of you that are watching. If you'll get all excited at a ball game. But you'll be tight-lipped at church. You got something wrong with your Christianity. Especially if you're at a church that you agree with the preaching, you believe it's right, and you know the truth is being spoken, crying out loud, friend. We're on the winning side. We ought to rejoice in the fact that truth is being propagated from the pulpit. We can get behind it. If you'll jump up and down about, whoa, he scored a bucket. Oh, he took off and made a touchdown. Wow, did he, ca- did he hit that ball? And we'll make all that noise, and we don't care what people say or think. 
And yet we come to church and, man, we're as, we're as quiet as a church mouse. Do you, do you th- hey, would you question that kind of zeal? You, would you question if there's any zeal at all? Well, if you would, I guarantee you God would. I move on. The wrong kind of zeal needs to be mentioned, though. I believe we need to say amen. I believe we need to say glory to God. Now, people can have the wrong kind of zeal and still be sincere. You think those nuts that took those planes into the Twin Towers were sincere? I can't imagine not being sincere, I mean, sincerely believing what you're doing. You think they were zealous? Let me put it that way. I'm sure they were zealous. They were zealously wrong. And in hell they lift up their voice being in torments. But nevertheless, while in this life they, they let their flame burn for something wrong. I want to take you to the Bible and we're going to look at a few, a few examples because I'm going to use my time. We're supposed to redeem the time. God gave it to us. So let's uh, consider this. James and John in Luke 9, 54. Let's just take a peek at these. James, don't lose your place, though, in Galatians. Don't lose your place there. See, I didn't even mark this passage. You're going to get there before me. But I don't have tabs on my Bible, so. <laughs> Luke 9, 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? Whoa, boys. Now that zeal had to have, bridle, have a bridle on it. You know why? Because it was wrong zeal. You see, Jesus was going through Samaria. He was heading back to Jerusalem ready to be crucified. He had fixed his face like a flint to the cross. Nothing was going to get in between him or them. And when they looked at Jesus' countenance, it was so serious and steady, they thought, he's mad at these Samaritans. And they thought they might help. Lord, you want us to call down fire and burn these people up? That's almost funny, ladies and gentlemen. I think it's actually kind of humorous. Those knuckleheads had no idea what Jesus was doing. Right next to him, had no idea. And then he has to tell him, you don't know what manner of spirit you are or something like that. But uh, that's a wrong zeal. Wrong zeal. Here's another one. In 2 Samuel 21, verse 2, God, God had this man anointed to be king so that he would, he would execute judgment on the house of Ahab. His name, uh, Jehu, he was uh, the captain of Ahab's army. And Elisha sent a prophet to anoint him as king, and he understood his role. Jehu did. I'm supposed to execute judgment on the house of Ahab. Ahab had already died, but Jezzy was still in the castle. And wherever there's a Jezzy, there needs to be some execution or at least some removal. And so Jezzy was in the castle. And God said, that's enough, we're cleaning house. Not just with Jezebel, but with 
all of Ahab's descendants, all of them. So Ahab begins to clean house, executes every one of them. And after he's done with that, then he removes the Baal worship. That's a good thing. But actually, the text that I would point at is, Jehu is headed towards Samaria to get Jezebel. On his way, he meets uh, Jonathan the Rechabite. And obviously, this man was known as a godly man. He took a vow not to drink alcohol, nor let his descendants drink alcohol as long as they lived on this earth, as well as not live in a permanent house, but live in tents. And he stayed with that vow for a couple hundred years, even into the days of Jeremiah. So Jonathan, the Rechabite, is traversing the land, and Jehu sees him and pulls up to him in a chariot and says, get in here and see my zeal for the Lord. That's what he says. See my zeal for the Lord. And boy, it's like, that's cool. So he, this Jonathan Rechabite sees Jehu clean house and do all these wonders in Israel. And man, you and I read that and say, that's awesome. He's the best king they had up there. And it, it appears that way. But when all is said and done, he does not remove the sin of Jeroboam. He leaves the idols up on the southern end and leaves the idols up on the northern end. And he doesn't last long. If he'd have really loved God, I said if he'd have really loved God, he'd have taken care of the things God hates. But he didn't. What was his zeal? A little more show than it was a love for God. And then, of course, Saul. I could take you to Saul, but for time's sake, I'm not going to turn there. Kings Israel gets in trouble in the days of David because in the days of Saul, they try, Saul tried to execute the Gibeonite people who were not Jews. He tried to execute them. The problem is Joshua, Joshua made a vow with the Gibeonites that they would, be, they would find a safe haven in Israel. But King Saul, the Bible says, in his zeal, tried to execute them all. Well, that was wrong. And what happened was it brought judgment upon the, the nation of Israel. Once again, why would Saul do that? Show. Show. People can be zealous for popular opinion. People can be zealous about trying to make other people think highly of them. I know I'm telling the truth. And then Romans chapter 10, verse 2, Paul bears witness of the people of Israel as a nation. He says they have a zeal for God, but they don't know him. They don't know him. They have this zeal. What's that all about? Can I say this? They had this zeal about we get to hold these scriptures and we're special and, and uh, we're distinct from all other people. And the very book they the very book they were zealous about, they didn't know. That sounds like a lot of modern day Christians. I'm a King James Bible guy, you know that. But I get concerned about people who are so 
um, let me say it the correct way. Uh, they are passionate about the King James, and they make it, they, uh, they'll make a bigger deal about you using the King James Bible than whether or not you're growing in grace or whether or not you're even saved. Did you all hear that? I mean, they'll make a big... And listen, I'm a Baptist, and I'm not ashamed of it, but I get concerned about people who are more passionate about you being a Baptist than you learning the Bible and learning the Word of God. Are you hearing me? Because when you start... Listen, listen, when you start focusing on these uh, lesser important things and, and your zeal is zeroed in on these things that are not as important as the gospel of Jesus Christ and souls getting saved and people growing in their relationship with Christ and it's more focused on these other things that are trivial, you're going to create problems for yourself and the people around you. It's just a reality. It's just a reality. And so there is a wrong kind of zeal we need to be mindful of. I want to be a flame for God. I want to be on fire for God. The God of this book. And the reality is the evidence of that is my desire to learn this book and to follow its precepts. I'm not done yet. we got a minute or so. As a matter of fact, how do we get this zeal? How do we get this zeal if you don't have it right now? And I dare say our church has it to where we need to as a church. We need the spur, not the bridle. I'm not being mean. I preach this to myself as much as I preach it to anybody in this room, ladies and gentlemen. I know my carnal, worldly heart. I know that. And I read this and I say to myself, my goodness, Merv, you need some zeal. Because I can get stirred up about other things. I sure better be able to get stirred up about the things of God. And I better be able to get stirred up to the point to where these other things seem so trivial. And so, let me give you some ideas in regards to how to get this zeal and stoke that fire. The very first thing is this. Revelation 3.19, Jesus would say to the church of Laodicea, be zealous and repent. What's that all about? Uh, that means if you know you need it, if you know you're lacking it, the very first thing you need to do is acknowledge, Lord, forgive me. I'm not on fire, but one day I'm going to meet God and meet you, God who is a consuming fire, and yet I claim to be saved, and I claim to be a recipient of all the blessings of heaven, and yet I take advantage of all your goodness and kindness. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I know I'm secure in Christ, but my heart is not where it ought to be. Hey, I'm just talking repentance. Be zealous and repent. That's the first thing. You want to get your fire back. You want to get some zeal back. Repent and then pray and say, God, put fire in the heart. Ask. We're not going to get help if we don't ask him. And then I'd say this. Read and meditate on the word of God. David said in Psalms 39. He said, I was silent. Silent. And I wouldn't speak. But while I mused, mused, that word mused is different than amused. Mused has the idea of think, thought upon. 
While I mused, what was he thinking upon? He was thinking upon God. He was thinking upon truth. He was thinking upon eternity. He was thinking about spiritual things. While I mused, he said this, the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue. Tom Malone, old Tom Malone, some of you may have never heard of him, but Tom Malone used to say, read the Bible. Read it till it burns. And then read it some more. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, Jeremiah was about ready to give up. He's about ready to give up. He said, but his word was within my heart like a burning fire, and I could not stay. I'm here to tell you there is power in this book. You want to get fire in your spirit, fire in your soul. First of all, acknowledge your need. Call and ask God, the Holy Spirit. Hey, you know when John the Baptist said, John the Baptist said, uh, you know, I'm only, I only baptize you with water, but there comes one after me who baptized with the Holy Ghost and with, and with, and with, can you finish it? Fire. We need to ask God, I stir my heart. Read and meditate on the Word of God. So repent and pray. Read and meditate on the Word of God. The third thing, this is real simple. Get around those who have more zeal than you. At first, it might feel uncomfortable. But after a while, it'll be very therapeutic. Get around people who hand out gospel tracts. Get around people who are concerned about souls. Get around people who are excited about the things of God. Get around the right crowd. Lot's biggest problem was when he left Abraham. Demas, when he forsook Paul, we never heard of him anymore. I'm just here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, get close to someone who's close to God. You never have to worry about getting too much zeal for God. Don't be scared. Let me say to parents, because teens are more flammable. I love it. They are more flammable. I wish, I wish older folks were flammable. We're not as flammable. It's like we know too much. We got too smart. That's why they, that's why they want these 18, 19, 20-year-olds to go to war. They don't know better. Those of us that are older, we think things through too much. Oh, no. That's why many of the great revivals, most of the great revivals on this planet took place through the preaching and teaching of young people. Young people. George Whitfield was 22 years old when he set the world aflame for God. 22 years old. He didn't know better. I say this, parents. Listen to me. If God stirs your young person for the things of God, let him burn. Let her burn. Direct him to the scriptures, direct him to good doctrine. Years ago, years ago, I remember we had a young lady in our youth group. I'm, gonna, I'm almost done. You know, we don't have King's kids. Y'all had extra sleeping time this week. You've got a moment to hang out. If Jesus comes, he's not going to be mad at you for staying a few minutes long, okay? And if you've got to slip out, I understand. I'm not going to look down on you or anything like that. All right, but I've got to share this. When I was a youth pastor, I remember this. Oh, my dear wife would remember this, too. There was a young lady uh, who grew up in the youth group. Her mom and dad attended church. And i got to keep myself from saying her name. And uh, something happened. She was a teenager. Uh, There was a guy 
she liked that was in the youth group, and he caught fire for God. She, and it helped her. She got involved in the bus ministry. Next thing I know, she's really doing things that are proving that she loves God regardless of that guy. She's serving. She's involved. She, she wants to be a missionary. She wants to go to Bible college. Mom and dad got a little scared. Took her out of the bus ministry. Put the bridle on her. Well, her and that boy never worked out, and she never did go to Bible college. Matter of fact, I have no idea where she is today. It's sickening. It's a sickening thing. When you're working with the young people in the church, all you can do, all you can do, listen, you try to help the parents, raise them for Jesus. I mean, you're, doing your, you're not the parents. We're not, you're not the parents. We know that. But we want to stoke the fire for God, and that's what we're going to do. And if a parent doesn't like that, well, then you're in the wrong place because that's what we're going to do. We're going to stoke your fire, and if you don't want to burn, it's going to feel uncomfortable because the flesh never feels real comfortable. When the heat of Jesus is stirring you up. We're almost done. Just to give you some hope here. How to get zeal. Well, you need to repent and pray. You need to read and meditate on God's word. You need to get around those who have more zeal than you do. Don't worry about getting too much zeal. You won't have it. Until you can be like... Uh, some of the great martyrs of old, like some of the great missionaries of old who will forsake family, friends, and all that you have to follow Jesus. Friend, you're not even close to being overzealous. And by the way, nobody can give too much to Jesus. Nobody can give too much to Jesus. And it doesn't matter what age you are. By the way, I don't mean to quench the spirit of those of you that are not teenagers and those of you that are older. I'm here to tell you, you're still flammable. You're here. Yeah, there, there's still some flint in that case there. There's still some powder that'll burn. Yeah, hey, you might not need to let it dry out a little bit, but you just keep around the fire. It'll explode. Next thing we know, somebody next to you is going to hear you say amen, and they're going to jump out of their seat and come unglued thinking you went crazy. <laughs> Go back to Galatians. we wrap it up. I'm actually, I'm having fun tonight. Back in Galatians chapter 6, let's look at the verse one more time. We're going to wrap this up. Galatians 6, verse 18. I'm going to say this. I'm going to ask this question. I'm going to ask this question. I'm going to read the verse. Here's the question. Here's the question. How do you know if you really have zeal? How do you know if you really have zeal? Let's look at the verse. The Apostle Paul says to the Galatians, it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. And not only when I am present with you. And not only when I am present with you. See, I've known a lot of people that get fired up here in the house of God. I've known a lot of people that can make decisions for the Lord Jesus Christ at camp. I've known a lot of people that could shout it and, 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 uh, and uh, 
praise his name and, and express zeal in the public crowd when they're around the right people. But I tell you, it's a whole different story when they're all alone. And that's how you know if there's a zeal burning in your heart. That's how you know if there's a fire for God burning in your heart. Is it there when you're all alone watching the TV, playing with the internet? Is it there when you're all alone, just you and God? Will you, will you read your Bible then? Or is it there when you're around the unsaved? Is it there when you're around the unchurched? Is it still there when you're at work around people who don't live for God and don't think about the things of God? Is it still there? That's how you know if you really got zeal. Because if it dissipates, it's nothing more than what Peter had before Christ was crucified. You say, what? Oh, I know it appeared like Peter had zeal, didn't it? What did he say? Although all men forsake you, Lord, I won't forsake you. That's what Peter said. Remember that? Peter even pulled out a sword and said, I'll go to battle for you, Lord. We all know the story. All it took for Peter was Jesus to be taken away. And a little girl across the fire would look over at Peter and say, Are you with that man up there? No, no, and the third time he'd cuss and curse, and then the rooster would crow. And Peter would go out and weep bitterly, understanding he didn't really have zeal. Oh, no. But he did get it later. He did get it later. You do, you evaluate your own heart. That's what I had to let this do to me. Father, I love you. May the Spirit of God help us this evening. I pray that our church would be filled with people with zeal. I pray that our homes would have a zeal for you. Lord, during the holiday season, we can enjoy so many comforts, creature comforts, and we can forget about our walk with you. I pray, Lord, that folks would do what they can to allow you to stir their passions. We're going to have an altar call. We're not rushing things. If you want to use the altar, you feel free to use the altar. If you need to sneak out, you go right ahead. Matter of fact, we'll just let the piano play a little bit. We'll just let the piano play. And you do as the Lord leads. You do as the Lord leads.